This is the Get Healthy 360 podcast, where we discuss topics related to your physical, mental, psychological, and spiritual health. Your host is Dr. Chris Ferguson, board certified in anesthesiology and pain management. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and you should consult your primary healthcare provider before making any decisions related to your health. And here's your host, Dr. Chris Ferguson. Oh, one more thing before we start. If you like this episode, please consider rating us five stars. We would really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Today we have Ben Lean with us. He's a state representative. So what we're going to talk about is a little bit about how he got into politics because he doesn't come from a political family, why he got into politics and very practical steps of if you want to influence government, which really everyone should, which is why you vote, but beyond voting, what can you do to influence policy? So Ben, thank you very much for joining. Thanks for having me on, Chris. I appreciate it. So you're not from a political family. And my impression is that if you want to get into politics, really, you should have this pedigree of your dad was in politics, your grandfather was in politics, your grandmother's in politics, etc. How did you get involved? And why did you get involved? Well, that's one nice thing about the American system is that we are we're not the British House of Lords. So it really is very much so wide open in the sense that people who want to get involved, people who see they can make an impact in their communities, they can do that, especially at the local level, something like a city council or a school board or even the state legislature where the districts are much smaller. It's not going to be your 500,000, 700,000 person congressional district an entire state with the United States Senate. When it's local government like that, people can get involved. And so for me, a big part of it was going door knocking, just what that sounds like, just going door to door, telling people about myself, telling people I want to serve, telling them what the issues are that I want to focus on, and then just really having those conversations with people, just making it about the community, making it about the district, and really just exchanging ideas and being there to listen. And I, I think that's the biggest part of it is, yes, you have to have your issues and you have to have your values, but also being there to have that conversation with people, to listen to people and to understand what people in the community want of you if you are to win the election and, and to serve. And what exactly does it mean to be the state representative? It's for the Minnesota State House of Representatives. So it's a little different from Wisconsin, I think. I think Wisconsin has a state Senate and then a state assembly. Uh, Minnesota has a state Senate and then a state House of Representatives. So similar to the state assembly, just termed a little bit different. And I'm not real familiar with the Wisconsin politics, so you know, I'll be talking much more from the Minnesota side, but basically Minnesota is broken up into 67 different Senate districts. And so each Senate district has two state representatives. There's an A side House district within that Senate district and then a B side House district. And so the Senate districts are about 80,000 people. So the two House districts are each going to be about 40,000 people. And so I represent largely the city of Moorhead and then Oakport Township, which is a township just north of Moorhead. And I would think that your local politics, if someone votes in local politics, they have a lot bigger impact than, say, voting on national politics, just because there are smaller numbers of people. Well, you know, that is interesting. There's the old adage that for with, with American politics, all politics is local. The idea being that the decisions that impact people the most are made at that local level. Again, we're talking, you know, school boards and property taxes and your kids' education, city council, you know, again, property taxes and how is money going to be appropriated for the police department and for 
soil removal and pothole repairs and things like that. So I would say, yes, that decisions and positions on the local level probably do have a deeper impact than the national level, uh, whereas the national level is touching on so many different issues. We're talking international issues. It's much more broad-based, but with that local level, it's going to have much more deeper impacts, I would say. Another thing I would say about difference between the local level and the national level is that the national level over the last, you know, really decade or so, we've seen such intense gridlock and such intense partisanship that I think it really is up to the local governments, the state governments, the the municipal governments to really be able to make a lot of those decisions. Well, for lack of uh, being able to compromise on things, I think at the national level, people at the local level are making those decisions that uh, have more impacts on people. So, yeah, you know, I would say at the local level, it does impact people a lot more, which is kind of ironic because so many times people just get so focused on what's happening at the national level. You know, they don't really necessarily pay attention to the local level. Uh, That is interesting. But, uh, yeah, I would say a lot more impact can be made at uh, local levels of government. Well, funding the, the police system, first responders, funding the schools, that seems to be very impactful on an individual's life versus national or international foreign policy or fixing a pothole that's literally in front of your house. Right, absolutely. And I mean, there is going to be some money that goes into into these sorts of functions that happen at the local level. Money is going to come from the federal government and the state, and the state government and the local tax base, property tax base. Again, a lot of those decisions are made more at the local level. So for education funding, for example, yes, the federal government is going to send some education money to the states, and the states do have to adhere to some policies and things set by the federal government, but a lot of that is going to be set by your, your state governments as well. And naturally, not everyone wants to be working in politics full-time, but I think what is confusing for myself and a lot of people is if they want to be more involved, how can they be more involved? And also, how does lobbying work at the local level? Well, I would say, you know, as far as getting involved in everything, just uh, just show up. I graduated with a political science degree from my local four-year state university in Moorhead, More, uh, Minnesota State University, Moorhead. And after school, I just got involved with uh, the Clay County DFL. I'm, I'm Democrat, Democrat Farmer Labor. That's Democrat Party in Minnesota. It's called the Democrat Farmer Labor Party. Just got involved with Clay County unit of the DFL and just helping out with different events, you know, networking, getting to know different people and Really, that's where it starts, just getting involved at that local level. Now, when we're talking about lobbying and influencing government, more so at the state level, there are going to be a lot of advocacy groups. You know, a lot of those are going to be professional advocacy groups like uh, physicians and dentists and uh, nurses and those sorts of things. They're going to have a lobbying arm, but it is going to be a lot of citizen lobbying groups as well. One thing I think of when I talk about that would be mental health and awareness around mental health and mental illnesses, where a lot of that lobbying really comes from citizens who have been impacted, whether they're coping with mental illnesses or they have family that have dealt with mental illnesses. It's really just people getting involved and taking that initiative to talk about the issues, set a policy direction, and then to go to the legislature to really advocate for those positions. 
So it would be very difficult for someone to argue against increased access to mental health facilities. I think every person I've interviewed on this podcast is in healthcare and they're all advocating for more access to mental health for a variety of reasons and a variety of specialties. But say in Minnesota, specifically where you're working, if a citizen group wanted to advocate for that, what are the specific steps they would take? Well, in Minnesota, there are a couple different advocacy groups or lobbying groups for mental health. One of the biggest one is NAMI. It's the National Alliance of Mental Illness Awareness. And there are different, uh, there's a national chapter, but then there are different state chapters as well. And so, of course, Minnesota has a chapter of NAMI. And so, you know, you can you connect with, again, the local unit of your NAMI really take the initiative and get involved more on a state level. Sue Abderholden is the woman's name who runs NAMI Minnesota, and she's at all these different meetings, committee meetings that have some impacts or some bills dealing with mental health issues. She sends out emails saying, here's what's been going on at the national level, impacts Minnesota. Here's what's been going on at state level. So it's really just finding the right people, connecting with those people. And again, like I say, finding those local units of these organizations that really is a way for people to get involved as well. And how much impact can one person really have beyond just voting? So you're saying get involved in these lobbying groups, but I'm just trying to get my head around what the magnitude of effect would be. Well, I always say there are power in numbers. When I meet with different people and different groups and things, I, you know, definitely there are power in numbers. And when you organize and unite around one common goal or one common policy initiative, you know, that's really going to uh, make a bigger impact because it's not just going to be one person contacting their one legislator about this issue. It's going to be people from, you know, again, talking Minnesota, people from Duluth and Crookston and New Ulm and, you know, the metro area, Anoka, all reaching out to their various representatives. And if people are on the same page about that, you know, there's all these different people around the state saying the same thing to their individual legislators can have a lot of impact. Personally, I do all of my constituent communications myself. I read all my own emails, uh, you know, write my own letters back to people. And so I think it does have an impact because it's one thing to be in St. Paul looking at all these different spreadsheets and all these different numbers about the state budget and, you know, so much money is going here and so much money is going to this account. But to really put that human face on it, to think about, okay, I'm making these decisions and these decisions are impacting this person in my district on a very personal, very real level, you know, that has a lot of weight. That, that can have a lot of gravity for legislators. And I think that politicians often get a bad name. At least that's the perception that you're just kind of detached. But you're speaking about how you really have a personal touch with the people that are emailing you and contacting you. It's honestly surprising to me that you're answering all of your own emails and writing all of your own letters. I just assumed an assistant would be doing that. Well, each individual legislator has their own approach and their own style about things. You know, that's just something I personally like to do. And again, it is a lot easier to have that personal connection with people when you're representing somebody more on the state or the city or the county level, you know, as opposed to the national level, uh, the federal level. You know, again, you're going to have a district with five, six, seven hundred people or entire state, again, in the case of the U.S. Senate. So it's just a little bit different. So when you're getting involved more at the local level, that affords you that opportunity to be more in touch with people and to do the door knocking and to have more town halls, to be present in the community. I think that's another thing that 
a misperception people have too is people always ask me, oh, so do you live in Moorhead? Do you live in St. Paul? And it's like, no, we actually have to live in our districts, unlike Congress, where you can live outside of your district at the state, in Minnesota, at least at the, in the state legislature, you have to live in your district. So I do live in my district. You know, we meet January through about mid-May. So I'm down in St. Paul during the week. I come home on the weekends and then you know, May through December, I'm out in the community doing the door knocking, meeting with people, staying in touch with people. So it can be a lot easier to have that personal connection at, at the state level. This is a two-part question. What would you say are the best parts of your job and the most annoying parts of your job? Well, you know, I, I really enjoy the policy. To say I went to school for political science, so I really get into the policy conversations and just thinking about if you make a decision about something over here, how the implications are going to impact something over here. So just all those interactions with state government and how all those interactions impact people's lives, that's something I've always been very interested in. And, you know, there are things like like with any job that people like and don't like. I would say personally, probably the very, very intense partisanship, and certainly at the national level, and it's starting to make its way in at the state level. And it's both sides are guilty of it, you know, Democrats, Republicans. And I think it's really unfortunate that we're at a point where we are right now in politics in this country because people, it seems, they really just want to speak to their base. They don't want to think about that the decisions they make and the policies they set impact everybody. And so I think people really get lost when they try to just appeal to their base. I think it's short-sighted. I don't think it leads to good decision-making. And I really don't think it leads to comprehensive decision-making. I mean, public policy, you have your two sides, of course, but the solution lies in the middle. The solution lies in people compromising and coming together, really, and splitting those differences and thinking about, okay, what can we get done? So that's a very challenging aspect of things personally for me. From an outsider standpoint, it seems kind of illogical to, to just bookmark yourself as I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican, because what if that particular candidate, Democrat or Republican, is not the best candidate? Because really, it seems that people have a vested interest in picking the best candidate that will serve the population as a whole, whether that be Democrat, Republican, or Independent, versus these hard, hardcore party lines, which like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, those are decisions that each individual voter is going to have to make. You know, I think with social media and the 24-hour cable news channels going on right now, I think it's a lot easier for people to get entrenched in those two different sides. It's a lot easier for people to get entrenched within their their own opinion. But, you know, that's just, I, I think, a decision individual voters are going to have to make. Are they going to reach out and access information that may not necessarily uh, back up their worldview? Are they going to, you know, challenge themselves and look at the other side of an issue or think about an issue differently? You know, again, I, that's just kind of where we're at in American politics right now. And I agree, it really doesn't make sense. And I think it leads to some of those things I was talking about earlier, where you have elected officials then who are just trenched in their own sides and only really listening to one side of an issue. No, it's not good for democracy, I don't think. And it's not good for, for public policy. On a personal level, I just really care about that the streets are clean, the police are well paid, so that way I'm safe, the teachers are well paid, so that way, you know, children could be educated. Obviously, I want less taxes, and I want freedom of, of whatever, my civil rights. I think it, it would be logical to vote for whoever has 
those interests in mind. And it's interesting that you have to live in that area because then those are also your interests. Your interests are aligned. I think that the hard part from a social media standpoint is some of the the platforms are very short. So you give these little short responses and it's hard to get into a nuanced conversation. TV is difficult because really TV just wants to sell ads. So they try to hype things up and make and scare everyone. So I honestly, I, I don't really watch the news, which is why I prefer podcasts because you can have a more subtle conversation about things without getting all worked up about a specific issue that doesn't need to be getting worked up about. Yeah. And I think most people feel that way. Certainly most people in Moorhead feel that way. You know, they just, uh, they want to go to work, come home, you know, they want to know that their kids are going to good schools, you know, have money to take their families on vacations and start college savings and put gas in the car. But the concerns on a day-to-day level that most people do have. And I think that the two parties really wanting to drive this narrative of division to be thinking about all these very large issues that may not necessarily impact you on a day-to-day basis, but it's using those issues to drive a wedge to people and to win votes. An unfortunate thing, but that's, that is a reality. And so I think, again, it's incumbent on people to really reach out. I know people all the time tell me, oh, geez, I don't have enough time in the day to pay attention to politics. And I get that. People are busy. You know, they have to take care of their families and everything. But I think it is important for people to at least stay informed and know what candidates are talking about what and, you know, how the candidates are talking about issues, too. I think everybody agrees that we want to have strong public safety. We want to have well-maintained streets. We want good schools. We want strong business climates and everything like that. But it's just a difference of how you go about those issues, how you address progress on those issues that that really that that is the difference. And I think that often it's easy to sacrifice the long-term benefit of a city versus short-term gains. For example, I'm just going to use a fairly classic economic example of a politician may say we're going to have rent control and no no landlords can raise their rents or everyone will have cheap rent, but then what that will do is it will na- not make it cost effective for landlords to keep their buildings up so a politician may push rent control and then They'll win votes because people like rent control, so they don't have to pay more rent. But then in the long term, that has disastrous economic consequences. I agree with you that being able to have a longer conversation as to what are the implications of these decisions and what will be the impact short term versus long term. I mean, with anything, it's a balance. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's so important for people, voters and elected officials to be to be willing to listen to the other side of an issue, to come up with that compromise public policy that's going to be effective, that's going to be uh, something that can be implemented for society and something that's going to ultimately help, you know, both sides of the issue. And I think that's really where we have a deficit is people just, they don't want to do that. They don't want to listen to the other side. And I think some of it is people just don't want to be wrong. You know, they want to be right. They want to, at the end of the day, know that in their mind, you know, their idea of how things should be done was the best idea. And that's just human nature. I get that. That's not practical. You know, that's not reality. That middle ground, that compromise, that really is going to be the most effective public policy where uh, we can listen to businesses, where we can listen to consumers, we can listen to labor, we can listen to management, and really come up with craft the best public policy that is going to move everybody forward, not just a public policy that's going to make your base and your party happy to feel like, hey, we got to win. 
I think it takes a much stronger person and a bigger person to say, to really listen to another point of view and say, you know what, I've considered the arguments and I'm going to change my view on that versus I think it's easier to just get entrenched in whatever topic you're passionate about. And no matter what someone says to you or what the evidence shows to just hunker down on that, be respectful of your time. And so just so everyone knows this phone call is taking place on a Sunday morning. So that shows your dedication to getting your voice out and just being in touch with your constituents. Any closing thoughts or any sort of message you want to give to people? I appreciate you reaching out here. This was this was a good conversation. You know, again, it's just this democracy that we have. It is what we make. If we want it to be functional, we're going to have to have patience and we're going to have to be willing to listen to each other and have conversations with each other. Because if not, we're just going to have what we see now at the national level, which is just gridlock and ineffective government, which I personally don't think really serves the best interests of anybody. So it starts with individuals. It starts with legislators just to really think about the other side and to think about the other argument and why some people see that other argument as the best way to move forward. You know, again, it's just progress and public policy in a democratic system. It happens in the middle. It happens with compromise in order to be really effective and long lasting for society. If your constituents wanted to contact you, as you said, you're, you're available to them, which I commend. What would be the best way for people to do that? I give my contact information out at town halls, at the radio, all over my campaign literature. It's on the uh, state website. So it's my cell number, 218-443-4813, or my state email account. It's rep.ben.lean at house.mn. You have people your cell number? I That's do. That's very yeah. impressive. I would vote for you just for that. <laughs> well, I mean, it just so, speaks to your commitment to, to the people that you're representing. If you're willing to take their phone calls, then you're probably not going to do something silly because then they'll be calling you yelling at you for it well it's good it's good to be accessible to people i think that's one of the biggest things for elected officials that you have to be accessible all right well ben thank you so much for taking the time thanks a lot chris i appreciate it thank you for listening if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe and visit the get healthy 360 facebook page we are always looking for feedback and new story ideas thanks again and see you next time